So just when you may have thought that you had figured out what Advent is all about, getting ready for Christmas, right? A season of light, a season of peace perhaps, a season of preparation. Along comes John the Baptist and says, you brood of vipers. And you thought you knew what Advent is about, didn't you? William Stringfellow writes that one of the failings of the American church is that oftentimes we have domesticated Advent to the point that it becomes just a season of preparation. We've allowed it to become part of the broader culture of commercialism and shopping and all of the things we do to prepare for Christmas. But in fact, he says there are two Advents. One of them is about Jesus' birth and preparing for that, yes, and the other one is about what we have come to call the second coming, Jesus' return. And it is this Sunday, the second Sunday in Advent, where the two always seem to collide and make a big mess, if you're listening and paying attention, as Jesus asked us to last week. Keep awake, he said. And after John the Baptist's astringent words today, if you're not awake yet, you're not listening, listen more, you brood of vipers, he says to us. John the Baptist's witness in the wilderness is meant to unsettle us. But what's interesting is the people come out to him, including the ordinary folk and the downtrodden, the people you'd expect to go out to a wild-eyed, crazy man dressed in camel clothes and eating insects and honey at the edge of nowhere. But it's the people you don't expect who go out to him that intrigue me this day, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. What are they doing why did they come out from Jerusalem? Is it because they're out there to try to trap him? Possibly. Maybe that's why he insults them right off the bat, just to get them down a peg or two and show them that, you know what, he's not going to kowtow to whatever agenda they're bringing with them. Maybe they're afraid or a little bit envious because he's drawing people from out under their power and noses in Jerusalem. Or maybe, just maybe, they're there because even though they're on top of the pile as far as the religious traditions of Israel are concerned, they recognize that something isn't quite right. Something isn't quite right with their tidy little worlds. The Pharisees were the faithful lay folk. They were, you know, your, like your faithful Christians who show up for church every Sunday. They kept the traditions. They kept the faith. They knew how to live, and they could afford to do it correctly. And so they did, and they felt good about that. Sadducees were a sect of priests who were assiduous when it came to matters of the basic laws of their ancestors. And their identity was rooted 
rooted solidly in that covenant around Abraham. And they knew it backwards and forwards and upways and sideways and diagonally, you name it. They could recite it to you and they followed it and made sure the people under their authority followed it too. They lived what they might have thought was a good life in the eyes of God. So why are they out there listening to this crazy man who's calling them names and inviting them to repent? Sometimes I think our pursuit of peace this time of year in ourselves is actually a way that we allow the world to lull us into a false sense of comfort. Isaiah has this beautiful image of the peaceable kingdom today which is offered up as a beautiful thing to a people living in exile, a hopeful thing to people everywhere about the way the world could be, where all of the children could play wherever they wanted to without being afraid, where even the violence of the natural world would be brought to order and peace where even the dead stumps would sprout something good. It's tempting, perhaps, to think that we can create that peaceable kingdom for ourselves, particularly for all of us in this room, with some means, living in a very quiet and comfortable part of the world. But it was brought home this week to me that we know somehow in our bones that this is not the peaceable kingdom. Here's just a snapshot. On NPR this week, Planet Money was reporting about a guy, an American, who uh, doesn't wash his t-shirts. He doesn't wash his t-shirts. He doesn't have to because it actually costs more for him to wash them than it does for him to just go out and buy some new ones. Perfect economic sense, right? That's how the system's supposed to work. So the Planet Money team decided they were going to pursue that one to the ground, and they decided to go and trace the supply chain for the t-shirts. And as you can imagine, they made the tracing all the way back to Bangladesh. And they visited the textile plant there where the t-shirts were made. Now, the people there have no other means at their disposal to make a living. So, of course, they come out in droves to work in these textile plants. And they talked with the manager, who seemed like a very rational, reasonable guy. And they said, so how much does it cost to produce one of these t-shirts? And he said, two American dollars. Two American dollars, he said. And they said, okay, well, so tell us about how that's divided up, that cost, you know, between labor and materials and all of that. He said, well, when it comes to the cotton and the shipping and manufacturing the cloth and all of that, it comes to about a buck fifty for us to get all the material in. And then we have about fifty cents left over to pay for the labor. Reasonable, I suppose. So, how many people get paid out of that 50 cents? Well, it turns out 32 people 
work on the assembly line to assemble a single t-shirt. So that 50 cents is divided among them. Most of the people in that particular textile plant make around $50 a month to live on. Now, you are all good Marin folk. Don't jump just yet. Okay? Don't jump left. Don't jump right. Let the politicians and the pundits do that. I'm not inviting you to jump just yet. But understand that the world that we think is peaceful is not. We're a brood of vipers sometimes. John the Baptist is talking to us. We are the Sadducees and Pharisees standing there at the edge of the wilderness, the Jordan, being told to bear fruits worthy of repentance. John tells us. Fruits worthy of repentance. And I've been puzzling that one, over that one all week. And I think, what are those fruits worthy of repentance? Any ideas? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. That's the honest to God truth. I don't know what he's talking about. But the invitation of the second Sunday of Advent is to stand there and hear those words and stay there in the wilderness between the peaceable kingdom that we all imagine and want and the realities of this world because it is there in between the two Advents, if you will, that John stands and calls us to transform lives. And our work in Advent is to stand there long enough to make space, to make room, to make room for the Christ who is coming. that one with the winnowing fork in his hand who will baptize us with fire, that one who will be born as a fragile child in the middle of nowhere, that one who promises to disclose to us God's grace and a new life that might just start to look like the peaceable kingdom. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.